0: we've always both been empathetic people but I think you've got to have empathy for the other person when you have a business partner because you've got to remember we're both still like humans and your business is just one element of your life like you have other things you have relationships you have friends family nine-to-five jobs and like there's going to be times in your life where you're like super stressed about other stuff as well that you need that other person to be like understanding it's so important I think especially in the day and age we're living now with mental health and
1: things like that, it's so important. Even though, you know, you want your business to do well, you should always look after yourself also. You know, I want to start like meditating and things like that. Um, Or just like reading more. And I think you should have a break sometimes. You should have a break, have some time to yourself, do whatever makes you sort of happy and then go back
2: to what you need to do. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Designer to Designer, a podcast where we dive into deep, candid conversations with fashion designers, professionals, and entrepreneurs. As a fashion designer and entrepreneur myself, the journey has sometimes been lonely, but I get over the tough times by being in good company. My mission is to make sure you never feel lonely again as you grow your fashion empire. I'm your host, Rebecca Tembo, founder of self-titled Jumpsuit Label and The Entry Platform, a platform for aspiring designers to develop their skills within entrepreneurship, design and mindset. If you enjoy this podcast episode, please leave a review, subscribe and share it with somebody you feel will benefit from this. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Cam and Sharon are cousins turned co-founders of British Women's Wear brand For The Thrill. The pair grew up very close living together, attending the same schools and vacationing. In 2019, Cam, who's 27, working in banking, and Sharon, 28, working in housing, launched for the Frill, which they describe described as a chic, elegant style for empowered women who are unafraid to turn heads. Whilst they had and have this amazing vision of where the brand could take them, it hasn't come without its challenges, the biggest one being having a year-delayed launch due to incompetent manufacturers they found on Alibaba. This resulted in them moving their production back to the UK, which gives the duo greater oversight into the progress of their collections. We spoke about the magical moment where Maya Jama wore and posted a photo of herself in the Nala satin dress and the impact it had on their business and emotionally after all their hard work, as well as what is it really like having a co-founder, especially when you're family? I believe you're going to love this relaxed episode. And if you do, please tap five star on reviews so we can give other people the opportunity to discover this podcast. Speak scene designers. Welcome to the podcast Cam and Sharon. Thank you so much for joining me today. Do you mind introducing yourself and telling our listeners a little bit about you?
0: Yeah, so I'm Cam, based in Kent. I'm currently working banking. I'm 27 years old and so yeah, so we set up for the thrill together, set up my cousin Sharon in 2019 and then ever since then we've been basically juggling a nine-to-five and a business.
1: Yeah, and I'm Sharon. I'm twenty eight and I work in housing, so much different from fashion. And I started this business with Cam. We both started this together. We've always been both we both always loved fashion. So I, I would only want to do it with Cam. So we're really glad we have started this together because the journey so far has been it's been really good. So can't wait for
2: the future really perfect thank you so you guys are cousins and you know you grew up together and everything looking back now is there anything that happened like in your childhood or early years that's made you think oh this is why we work together and this is why we've started this fashion brand like when you see those like little coincidences from before um i feel
0: like well to start off like we actually like grew up like in a really close family to the point where up to the age i think i was 10 when we moved out but we literally lived in the same house like our two families until the age of 10 so we grew up like i know like people have cousins and they're not that close to them but we've actually been always been super super close because we literally were together like from birth and then i guess like just in our early years I can't explain why, but out of all like, the cousins that we have, it's always been us two that have been, like, best friends. And then that, like, even went into, like, adulthood as well. And then, like, when we were, like, growing up, our families are very similar. So, like, our own, each individual family is very similar. So, like, that was, like, never a barrier. Went to the same school together. And then, although, like, we have other people in our family who, like, everyone loves to dress well, like, we always had that kind of, it was natural, but we always had that kind of extra element of, like, we would send each other clothes on a daily basis or like sometimes even like a few times a day to the point where it's like okay so this is probably just not even something that we it's not like just like oh we love shopping or we love fashion like most girls like we actually love like everything to do with fashion fashion week and like looking at new things that are coming out yeah basically everything to do with it so I feel like it was like really natural for us both
1: we actually even went on some holidays and we actually dressed the same when we were like
0: oh yeah <laughs> we would actually wear the
1: same clothes so yeah we've always had that in common
0: yeah and actually going back to it and, and we still talk about this it, and laugh about it when we were kids we'd go on holiday together with our families and I would like knock on Sharon's door and be like oh what are you wearing today but I was like 10 years old like that's not normal <laughs> <laughs> oh I love
2: that so there's always been that bond like literally from birth oh that's so sweet. Yeah. Okay. yeah 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 So it was more like dressing up, the love of fashion, that's really where it kind of like stemmed from. And I guess it's something that you guys both share together. So maybe now like, you know, creating your brand, it kind of made sense. So um, you both have nine to five jobs. Um, Cam, you work in banking, Sharon, you work in housing. How did you go about starting your fashion business with absolutely no experience whatsoever? Like what were the first initial steps?
1: Yeah, so we had no experience. So um, at the side of our nine-to-five, we just began researching everything from the bottom up. We, like, researched everything it takes to start up a brand. We researched key things around the manufacturing side of things, from pattern making, suppliers and so on. We were always Googling, uh, we always did our Googles and researched UK manufacturers as well as manufacturers abroad as well, especially in China. But when we initially decided that we wanted to start a fashion brand we come across an organisation uh, which we're setting up like workshops for anyone that wants to start a fashion brand. So we thought that would be really helpful. So we attended this workshop. For startups It is like an all-day event with other women who also wanted to start up a brand as well. We actually found that really helpful because it gave us a, a proper insight into what it takes to start up a brand and all that sort of different areas of business. And to be honest, we do actually recommend anyone that wants to start, if they want to start up a fashion brand, to attend something like that if they just don't know where to start. Because it definitely gave us a kickstart to research what we needed to research. And, yeah, I I would recommend anyone that wants to start to go to something like that. There were professionals there um, who maybe had their own brand or have their own brand and they were giving really good advice, so that really helped
0: as well. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's it really. And and to be honest, I feel like, it, especially with the workshop, it was really good because not everyone there was going to set up the same business. Like some people wanted to set up um, shoe brands and some people wanted to set up clothing brands, but and no one had actually started yet. So like, it was just really cool to be in the same room as all these other women who, oh some, some came from all the way from like Sweden, like, and it was like really interesting to be in the same room as other women who like kind of had the same goal and like had the same ambition. I feel like, yeah, as Sharon said, if you don't know where to start, Put Yourself in that kind of environment because that really pushes you to kind of
1: do it, yeah. And we actually follow quite a lot of the girls that we did meet at that workshop as well, don't we? We uh follow them on Instagram, it's really interesting to see where their business is now going, and they're really like supportive of our business as well. They're always like sort of messaging us and liking our posts and things, so it's really amazing to see, yeah.
2: No, that's great. Um, even like pre COVID, I would go even like when I was working um full time as well. I would go to loads of events. Like it'll be lunchtime at work, and I'm doing my makeup because if I had it on from the morning, I would have been like literally so oily because I have like <laughs> I have oily skin. So I do it um, at lunch, and they're like, "Where is she going tonight?" And I like have my my heels in my bag and everything. So I'm like, "I'm gonna go network. I'm gonna learn new things." um So I'm sure like once the lockdown restrictions have like finished, there's gonna be so many events. So um, especially if you're based in the UK and you're listening to this, Eventbrite is great to find events and also um, following like these sort of like fashion communities on Instagram because they're the ones that actually host the events or business mm-hmm. like communities as well. So they'll always post when they've got an event because obviously they want people to come and try hashtags as well to find them like it's honestly the best thing
0: yeah no I totally agree and the thing is like even when you go to these events like everyone's not doing the same thing and even if everyone was doing the same thing I mean that wouldn't happen but you're still going to be learning so many different things from just talking to people like we like I'm pretty sure that you'd meet people who like doing the manufacturing in another country but you would have like so many other things in common so like yeah I think it's just and it's just inspiring because like as Sharon mentioned before we went to that workshop and some of these girls like they were talking about like yeah I'm going to do like this kind of business and now we've seen them set their business up it's completely different to what they said but it's that they're still smashing it so it's interesting to watch other people's journeys as well yeah exactly especially when you've
2: kind of started off at the same time or like on the same level or whatever you don't feel alone like you're seeing everybody working at the same time so it's it's a really like good feeling um, but you guys decided to create for the thrill as a duo and i'm interested in what you've learned as co-founders there's a woman that i interviewed recently called amy she's um a swimwear designer and a consultant as well and she started swimwear brand with a friend and the business actually went bust and there was um, yeah it was just it was just a whole crazy story that she explains in the podcast episode but from her experience like she she learned a lot of things so I'm very interested as to like obviously with you guys being family and also having this like amazing relationship that you have how do you manage to work together to avoid like conflicts
0: and things like that yeah this is actually a really interesting question because recently we um Basically, we felt like we had to create like a, a really concrete timetable for when we can discuss like business matters. And literally everything A to Z from Instagram content, planning for the future, to designs, to sending out parcels, because we both work very different times. The pressure of our jobs is quite different. So um, there, got, there was a point where we were both like talking to each other and we were like, OK, so... I was the kind of person, I was like sending Sharon messages on a daily basis, like during that nine to five, I'd be like, oh, we need to do this, oh, we need to do that. And then Sharon was like, yeah, that's fine. I'm just working at the moment, so blah, blah, blah. So then we, we basically, we, we made like a, a pack that we have to kind of make a concrete timetable or when we can kind of do all this kind of stuff. So we, and, and we have to stick to it. But I feel like in terms of us working as a duo, I feel like a lot of people will say this is cliche, but we just knew that this would work for us because I feel like when your family, I wouldn't say because your family is different, it's more the sense of all these many years, we've never actually argued about anything else. So I feel like it would be weird if we went into a business and all of a sudden like we were completely different people or we weren't agreeing because... Before we started a business, tended to agree on everything. Before we started a business, we never argued. Before we started a business, we were always on the same page. So like it was kind of natural. Like I don't know. I feel like it's just something that we just knew, like inside, that this is not going to cause a rift between us. We're not going to like disagree on a lot. And then in terms of like learning stuff, I think one of the key things that we've taken out of it is that you're not always going to agree on all of your ideas. So like there's been times when I've said like, oh, I think we should do it this way, and Sharon said, I think we should do it this way, and that's absolutely fine if you have different opinions and different ideas. It's actually a good thing to have like different ideas, it brings more to the table. But as long as you come to a solution that's like best for the business, so like we'd basically just talk it out and say, Okay, so like this is the reason I think we should do it like this. It just makes more sense because X, Y, and Z. We both never put an opinion forward just for the sake of it, because we want to basically be right. It's always because we genuinely think this will be better for the business. And then like I would th- say another thing as well is like empathy. So I- we've always both been empathetic people but I think you've got to have empathy for the other person when you have a business partner because you've got to remember we're both still like humans and your business is just one element of your life like you have other things you have relationships you have friends family nine to five jobs and like there's going to be times in your life where you're like super stressed about other stuff as well that you need that other person to be like understanding and so yeah like definitely like have to have empathy for the other person um, yes, I would agree with everything,
1: everything Cam said. When we're sort of growing up with each other, we've always sort of had the same opinions. So a lot of the things we do agree on, but yeah, as she said, it is right that when, you know, we need to understand that not everything we are going to agree on, but as long as we find that solution and it does benefit our business and we sort of meet in the middle and there's a lot of things, I know it sounds silly, but for example, we were discussing like shapes for mm-hmm. uh, stickers the other day I thought, let's go for round. Ham was like, let's go for square. So we were like, okay, then why don't we do like a mixture? Um, just things like that, really. Just sort just of sometimes even meet in the middle, but along with it, it's the right outcome for your brand.
0: Even like the small things like we would we have to like talk it over and like say like no I think this is like this would work no this is better like Sharon said stickers like you wouldn't think that you would discuss with your business partner like what shape stickers should be but I feel like we always like yeah we both just have so many ideas and we always want to get everything perfect so like you might not agree on everything but as long as yeah the outcome is like best for the business. Definitely you mentioned that
2: you created like a timetable for you guys to discuss certain things in your business. Is there anything else you did from like a legal perspective in terms of like a contract or delegating certain like responsibilities to you know whoever? Like one person is in charge of finance, the other person is in charge of like marketing or whatever. Did you guys do anything like that?
0: we haven't decided to split things in that sense simply because we both want to be involved in every aspect of the business because we both feel like we have so much to bring to every aspect, you know? Yeah. There's parts that like one of us might be a bit stronger than the other person, but we both learn from each other. Like just given one example is like, so when we post things on social media, it's not like one of us comes up with the content or one of us posts it. We literally do everything together. I know that might not work for some people, but that's the way we've always wanted to run our business. Like everything is 50-50. And for us, it definitely works for us as well. Yeah,
1: now I would say that it's the way we like working. And I think you should always find that a way that suits you. And to be honest, we've been doing this for quite some time now. And that is, we've never had any problem that way got
2: it when you started off the first time around it took you a whole year to go from concept to launch mainly due to the manufacturer that you're working with in china so i know like when we spoke before by email you basically just said that you had a very like rocky experience with them so do you mind telling us about this experience and also what you learned from it
1: yeah no so it was quite rocky and um, so we found a manufacturer in china on alibaba um we looked for reviews as there's so many different manufacturers on there so you can see like pictures of their work they've already done so you kind of get an idea of what kind of garments they make so you can see whether they make things that may be similar to what you like you know what you're looking to get made in terms of that sort of structure etc things like that so in the end we did end up choosing a manufacturer that we thought would be good so we just sent our designs over to them they made our patterns we got given a point of contact and from there they would email us the progress pictures sort of over WhatsApp of sort of step by step. And then we would just like approve it at different stages throughout the process. There are some pros of working with a manufacturer in China. And we would say we worked out that it is cheaper price per unit. And the quality in construction, to be honest, wasn't it wasn't bad. It was actually quite good. But to be honest, as we said, it was quite rocky. So there are quite a lot of cons. Um, the communication was really hard at times. Um, there were really long wait times as well for our pieces to arrive in the UK. And then when they come, we had to pay a lot of hefty shipping and custom charges. So that was actually quite hard. From the start, we've always wanted to pride ourselves on quality and fit. And a lot of the time, they just didn't get that. They didn't listen to our sort of adjustments that we wanted or any changes that we asked for. They were sort of, they used to get quite irate when it comes to things like that. And also, there was always a change of sort of contact point, and so we were dealing with someone new all the time. So, just say on Friday we asked for a change to be made, and then on Monday we're dealing with someone else, and we don't even know whether that, you know, there's been any like any handovers being given over, and that would really then worry us. So, yeah, it was quite a rocky ride.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with everything that Sharon's saying, and I feel like I think the point of contact for us was like a big thing because we'd be talking to one person and the next week we'd be talking to another person and then we'd have to like, update them on like what's happened so far with like certain samples but also I think another massive thing was that when we were working with this factory like now I look back at it because we have a completely different process now a production process it's weird to think back that we didn't have a set person for like pattern cutting a set person for sample making a set person for like you know anything else it was like it's basically everything that we wanted was all kind of chucked into one bowl we didn't know like who was doing what so like if we had like a a problem with like the sample like we're not necessarily talking to the person who actually made the sample we're talking like someone else I just felt like it was really messy and like yeah one of the things like you mentioned before it took us a whole year but that was us trying to be on the ball and it took us a whole year because like there was just so many responses. But also in China obviously they have different public holidays to us so that there'll be like times where they're like shut for two weeks and they'll tell us like a day before, we're like, Oh and then like so that would delay us. But yeah, I for me the massive thing was the, the communication barrier. So we were working with these people for, like, months and months. We'd never even spoken to them on the phone, like, and I just think that's crazy because now we look at how we do things now and we look at how we were doing things, like, I just couldn't go back to that. And as Sharon said, the stuff, like, when we finally got all of our stock, it was good. Like, it wasn't like there was, like, anything, like, massively wrong with it but it could have been better like there could have been things where like in terms of like the fit or like or like the seams like there could have been things that were better and that we could have kind of like if that was being produced here we would have looked at it and been like yeah no that needs to be changed but because we were so put off by the whole like waiting time and yeah the the shipping costs like we got to a point where we're like we just can't afford to like send this back
1: and do you remember that time cam also we had a jumpsuit made and we had all the final productions sent to us and then when we opened, we'd done our quality checking, every jumpsuit, it was like they were made for someone that's like eight foot tall. It was really, really upsetting for us. It was so frustrating because we were meant to be launching like, straight away and we had all these jumpsuits, like 35 jumpsuits, then get tailored ourselves, which is obviously extra cost. And when we tried to speak to them about that, they just did not care like they really did not care and I feel like when you put so much hard work into your design and then through the manufacturer just not to care it's quite frustrating to be honest
2: it was funny when
1: we look back at it but then it's not because it really it really did stress us out at the time and it was like our first launch
2: looking back at everything that, that happened and everything that you know now was there any red flags
0: that you could identify and be
2: like hmm
0: okay I feel like definitely the the whole point of contact because you you get given a point of contact when you first send them a message so like we spoke to one person on email and then when the ball was rolling I think maybe like a week or two in it was someone else Mm -hmm. that's quite like soon into your into the journey so I feel like that's definitely a red flag another one was that they were quite pushy I feel like if you're going to work with a manufacturer, like they can't be pushy because I feel like you want in charge of making the, the decisions and you need to, like feel comfortable. And I feel like there were times when they were like asking us to like pay for certain things that I felt that we just didn't need that at the time. They were saying like we need like a certain amount of samples or a certain amount of this, and it's like after conducting our research, we're pretty aware that like you don't need like I don't know like how many samples of like one product. So like definitely like yeah, I wouldn't like ever like advise to like go with someone pushy or if you did like it's definitely a red flag and I think just generally like not having spoken to someone on the phone like I feel like okay you know there's nothing wrong with taking your manufacturing abroad but like try and get that like good relationship with them try and build that and I feel like if you're going to build a relationship over email or messaging it's just going to be hard um and actually I think there were actually times when Sharon I swear we tried to ring them a few times as well and like yeah they, we
1: tried to ring them on like whatsapp call and they just yeah. you know, they never answer
0: especially when we were like going through difficulties and like yeah they wouldn't answer so I feel like starting off um if you found like a factory that you like or found a person that you like that you want to work with like just make sure that they're like you can easily contact them I got it and what about the
2: emotional side of that I know you mentioned how like frustrating it was did you cry because <laughs> I would have cried <laughs> We didn't cry, but we were definitely really
1: stressed out because it was our first, you know, we just initially were starting up, it was our first launch. Obviously, we're really excited and we're really passionate about it. And sometimes you just can't beat yourself up about it because we would acknowledge that we are just new to this and we knew that there's going to be mistakes made along the way. And I think a lot of um, anyone that's starting up a business should understand that, that it's not always, you know, you're not always going to get it perfect and everything you're doing, you will learn from it. So it yeah, but we didn't cry, but it was definitely we used to sort of we used to get us down for definite.
0: But I think one of the reasons we didn't cry is because I feel like it takes a lot for us to both cry anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually feel quite like that strong. wasn't even an option. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, that's good because obviously, like through that experience, you bounce back and thought, okay, let's try this again. Whereas a lot of people have been like, you know what, this is too much work, or I spent too much money, it's not going to work out for me. So it says a lot about character which is great so after this you guys relocated the business operations to the uk what would you say are the benefits of manufacturing in the uk and what would you recommend for designers as well
0: i feel like there's so many benefits one main benefit is that you can actually visit like so for example the factories you can visit the factories you can visit your sample maker you can visit your pattern maker you can literally like spend one-on-one time with all the people that you're working with and I feel like for a lot of people that would help and um, another thing is that you can monitor the production so like especially if you're a business where you're actually designing your garments and then uh, like as opposed to wholesale you can like monitor the production and make sure that like all the standards are being met so one of the things for us that has been like key was from the beginning was that we want to produce pieces that are like of high quality high quality and really good fit and so like throughout our production process like we're like constantly monitoring that and so like you being able to like visit your sample maker or visit your pattern maker you can make sure like those kind of standards are being met and like I touched upon it before but like one-to-one working with your partner so we have like a really really good lady that we work with and she's like our sample maker and our pattern cutter and she's been in the game for like years like she's like even she's even made stuff for like the queen sister and stuff and like she's like amazing at what she does and we spent so much time with her like we, we've basically driven up to her workshop in London before and like spent two or three hours within her workshop with her and like not all that time was necessarily us looking at our our sample it was just like us like learning from her and having those kind of conversations and her teaching us like okay so this kind of fabric does not work for this kind of fit or this dress just can't come in here like you know like learning like learning the ropes basically another benefit I would say is the lead time is much less like as we mentioned before with China we would be waiting for like sometimes like a month for our like samples to come through or even stock to come through. And so that's basically just adding time on before you can launch and basically just delaying everything. So I feel like that's a massive plus plus. And another thing is, if you're looking to source your fabric from here, which we do, you can basically feel the fabric and, like, feel how good quality it is. So, like, when we are working in China, we also have the fabric come from there as well. So, like, we had, like, little swatches, but I feel like you can't do much of little swatches. Like, you have to be able to, like, get a roll and actually look at it properly and, and, like, move it around and see, like, okay, so this is what we want to, like, produce. Will this fabric work in that? So like definitely like that physical touch of like actually touching the fabrics. And I think your second part of the question was like what you would recommend to other designers. I think definitely build a good relationship with your partners that you're working with, whether that's the person in the factory, your pattern maker, your sample maker, because once you build a good relationship with them, you can like, I feel like they understand your vision a lot better. And I feel like they want to do well for you. Like they want to work with you in a really good way. And then the second thing I would say is definitely do your research on on factories and sample makers and pattern cutters because I feel like too often when you're starting a business because like, you're so like eager and keen to go do a little bit of research and be like oh yeah I found some sample makers in London and um, it's easy just to be like yeah I'm going to go for her or like she's a good price but like definitely do your research because you need to you need to work with someone who's definitely going to like bring your vision to life and, and they're going to work with you in a way that like works for you as well. No, yeah, certainly. You
2: mentioned um, something about monitoring your production, and I was wondering if there was anything that you guys do like, if you have a critical path, like Excel sheet or something, just so that you guys are like on track and you know um, rectifying any issues, etc.
0: Yeah, so we do work to a critical path. So we put in like a rough estimate of dates of when we're looking to launch by because I feel like there's always going to be things that get in the way of that. And then, like, there'll be certain points of that critical path where, where we'll review like the sample. So, like, we know the first time that it comes back, like, it's not going to be nowhere near perfect. It's not going to be like exactly how we kind of envisioned it. So, like, we set contingencies in place for that. So, like, if we want to launch, I don't know, in September, we'll make sure that we kind of cut out like like maybe a month just to make sure that any kind of inconsistencies or anything that we we're not happy with is kind of ironed out so yeah that's something that we that we do use got it
2: so that's cool so after the situation that happened with your first manufacturer you now relocate the business to the UK um and then you launch when did
0: you launch again so if you can remind me of the date so we initially launched in 2019 summer, but our, the collection that we just did, we launched in September 2020. Okay, because I do remember seeing the dress on Maya Jama
2: and thinking, oh, this is such a lovely dress. Like I remember the picture going like around, it was like everywhere. So a huge turning point for your business was Myojama wearing one of your designs. Um, it was featured on the Daily Mail and all other publications like that. It'll be great to kind of hear about how that had a huge impact on your brand, yeah, so it was a huge, huge deal for us when Maya Jama wore our dress.
1: We kind of didn't even expect it it gained us so much exposure, especially like from the press, for example, we were featured in Daily Mail fashion Fix that actually wrote about the dress. They didn't just sort of just put a picture of her in there that she wrote about the dress say they gave a link to where you can actually buy the dress so they gave a link to our website and then we were featured in a few other sort of newspapers online as well our friends were like literally sending us like new articles all the time since she wore the dress and it was really nice because we did work really really hard it's quite it was quite emotional for us and um we were just over the moon so yeah so for our designs be've written by sort of major news outlets which is amazing our following on instagram also just going up day by day we're always getting new inquiries about the dress and then one thing we also noticed that picture of Maya Jama actually wearing the dress on her on her page was actually one of her most liked pictures so that was really amazing and since Maya Jama has actually wore the dress we've had quite a few different celebrity stylists now contact us like asking us like to send them pieces um like recently we were asked to send a dress for um Ashley Roberts and the like pussy dolls, for example, so it feels really good and it feels thats like, quite bizarre when you
2: get these sort of get these sort of like dms
1: yeah it's just it's just amazing what I think a major sort of celebrity can do for your clout basically,
2: yeah, it's a big deal like when they wear it and it goes everywhere and yeah other stylists will tend to message you as well, especially because. Stylists want to be known as the person that discovered a brand. So they can kind of like get you in early and they can kind of take credit, which is good for them. It's not a bad thing. So, and even if so, for anyone listening to this, if a stylist hasn't found you you need to go and find the stylists they're all on instagram if you go and look at your favorite celebrities look at when they go to like red carpet events they always tag their stylist because the stylists actually give details of what they're wearing and that's how you can find them to um, reach out and just you know say this is my brand etc etc but no, that's that's amazing. It's crazy that that was like one of her highest liked photos. Yeah, yeah it was.
1: And it's so amazing great. that you said also that you know the pic, you saw the picture going around, and it was a quite a crazy time. And to be honest, even like now, we sometimes just go onto a profile and look at that picture, and there's still people that like that picture, still people commenting on it, asking where the dress is from, and and things like that. So it is really amazing.
0: And I feel like um, quite often we we might forget that a lot of women. We, we all do it a lot of women see like a certain outfit or a certain dress on a celebrity and be like oh my god I need that I need to wear that it not even necessarily on a celebrity even even like an influencer you just think oh my god she looks amazing like I need to wear that I feel like that it set a lot of that off from her wearing that dress I feel like a lot of people bought it simply because she was wearing it and she looked amazing and obviously they you know I'm sure like everyone else bought it. looked amazing as well but like they saw her and was like you know I want to look as fly as that basically and yeah, as you mentioned before, like, it's amazing what celebrities can do for, like for your brand and, and even, like, a certain style. Yeah, certainly. Um, On an emotional
2: level, and I know, Sharon, you kind of said how emotional it was for you guys, how did it feel having that breakthrough, considering everything that you've been through with the business already, like, with the previous manufacturer
0: and stuff? The only way I could describe it was because we had such a rocky journey up until that point, I feel like... When she wore that dress and we got all that really good exposure, it felt like it was all worth it. Like it felt like all of that stuff that we went through in China, all of the, you know, because we took a year break after that, after our manufacturing in China we took a year break and we tried to figure out like what we were kind of where do we want to go next. And I feel like once we saw that, it felt like, okay, A, it was all worth it. And secondly, it kind of gave us that kind of confidence boost. It made us feel like we believed in our product like to a T anyway, but it felt, I don't know it felt like you know there's other people that completely believe in our product as well because when she wore that dress we had like a, a conversation with her stylist and she like gave us such positive feedback as well and basically said like like I think her words were she absolutely loves the dress and I feel like that's so nice to hear so amazing to hear and it gives you like that like extra confidence boost and it makes you kind of it makes you believe in your business even more and it makes you feel like what we're doing is like right. When it comes to design, I
2: feel like with that dress that you wore, that basically became like the it dress for your brand. Like that's probably probably the go-to dress. Do you feel pressure as a designer to like create stuff that would have that sort of impact to like keep that momentum, if that makes sense?
0: Yeah, 100%, because I feel like you're right, that did become our it dress. And going forward from that, and when we, when we were looking at like kind of new designs and what we want to do in the future, we always had that dress in the back of our head. I mean, I think that's important anyway, because as a business, you, you should always be looking at like what's done well, what's been received well. But yeah, it definitely put that kind of pressure in the back of our head to be like, okay, so that dress done so well, everyone loved it. We have to create something that's basically... On the same level as that, or even better. We we have like the kind of thinking that like we have to create something like even better than that next time. And, but I do feel like once that happens and you know that you create something amazing, you know you could do it again.
2: No, definitely.
0: And that style as well,
1: because we know that it done so well uh, with one of our new designs, we're sort of incorporating um one of those sort of elements, like some of the details. Of that dress into like a different sort of style because we know how much our customers love that dress and i think as a brand it is important to give the customer what they want um and that dress just done amazing for us so why not sort of just you know maybe reinvent it into another style and and again it could become sort of like your
2: signature style really yeah they figure out what's working what sells and then they just yeah. adapt it All Saints is a great example of this because I used to work then I'll joke that the designs never changed because they did look all look the same. But they literally just saw what was working and they'll just change the colour for the season or they'll add like add special features and whatnot and loads of brands do that. And I think it's good because sometimes people feel like they need to create something that's so brand new and so different, (laughs) but then by doing that, you don't have a brand DNA. Like, people won't be able to look at your designs and be like, oh, that that's that brand. So when you're able to keep, like, similarities within your designs, people are able to, like, notice
0: the brand quicker. Yeah, 100%. It's not the same product. But in terms of, you know, Jacquemus, they became, like, known for that, like, their mini bag. And now, obviously, you can get it in so many different colours and it became basically the signature of that brand. So I feel like that's like, one of the most perfect examples as well. Like, they found that... You know, that bag blew up for them, and like now you can get it in different materials, different colors. So I feel like, yeah, it's actually a good thing to find out, like to have something that sells so well that people love, because I feel like, you know, as Sharon mentioned before, like it, it can become almost like a signature part of your brand.
2: Yeah, sure. So, what's been the biggest obstacle you've both had to overcome personally and professionally? I don't know if professionally you're going to mention. The situation of the manufacturer but if not it'll be interesting to see what
1: is. Um, leading on from the dress and my drama wall which sort of become our signature style really we actually had a quite a lot of copycats so that was definitely something that really irked us and we went on asos one time and we found a dress that was literally the same dress as ours And it was a really, really close copy. And then sometimes we'll just get followers that they were like designers from like big brands, like Pretty Little Thing, for example. And this definitely led to like a few copies. And we'd go on their like site a week later and there'll be basically an exact sort of copy as our dress, just a few tweaks really. There'll be like similar pieces on there. AliExpress, they were literally taking that Maya Jama picture and making their like sort of own version of it. There were so many we couldn't even keep count but to be honest this did push our creativity even more and establish our brand so like in the future we would hope that a customer wouldn't buy a knockoff they would want to buy the original quality piece because with a lot of designers out there there's always going to be some sort of like knockoff and you know i think there's a lot of people that wouldn't actually buy that because they know they want to buy that original piece and we would hope that people will support like a business like ours because when you have a smaller business you know it takes effort we put a lot into everything we do and you know oh. we do everything by ourselves from shipping to to designing to like we literally work our asses off basically and so when we see like copycats and we see these copies it yeah it does get quite disheartening and it yeah it does sort of make you quite angry really but um yeah it just it just pushes us harder it pushes us harder to create more different pieces and maybe styles that are just not that easy to copy That's it. <laughs> and personally for me I would say it's definitely been my nine to five I, I have found it quite hard to like balance both at times you know especially when we have like shoots coming up and things like that you just sort of feel I feel quite exhausted sometimes I feel like I'm doing 40 nowadays and I just feel like I just haven't had a break but then I try to look on the bright side I, I I look at how much you know what I'm doing why I'm doing it you know what I want out of this and how bad you want it really in the end you'd think those 14 hour days are worth it but that's it's got me down sometimes quite a lot but you just have to pick yourself up and realize and sort of ask yourself you know why you're doing this and you know that one day it
0: will reward you so yeah Sharon touched upon like the professional side of it 100% like I feel like when you see copies out there I'm definitely the kind of person where I I can't easily let go of it so I'm like I kept saying to Sharon yeah but why do they have to copy because they can still make billions without copying small brands like you're still going to make your billions so like and I feel like me and Sharon are, are, are those kind of people where we have a lot of like kind of empathy for other people we can't we struggle to get our heads around the fact that, yeah, okay, they're big businesses, but how can they just not care that, like, um, small businesses, like, the people behind those small businesses spend so much of their time and effort and, like, passion into creating something, and then you basically create it so quickly and sell it for, like, so much cheaper. And, like, it's something that, like, I struggle to kind of overcome because I've, I don't know, like, something, like, eats away at me and so I'm like, yeah, but Why? Yeah, so professionally, I definitely agree with the whole, like, copycat scenario. And then personally, I'd say for me, like, it's been hard for me to try and overcome my tendency of being impatient. So, like, I'm the kind of person, like, I... I'm happy to put the work in, and I want to put the work in. I always want to see results quickly, like, and I've always been like that, even in like my corporate jobs. Like when I came out of uni, like I'd be applying for so many jobs, and like I'd be like, well, I'm applying for so many jobs. I should have got a job by now. So like I've always had a tendency to like not want to wait for things. I can put the work in, but I want it to come sooner. And like obviously with any startup business like you're not going to reach the top in the space of like a few months or a year like it's going to take a lot of hard work and dedication and like I had to one thing I've learned is like I have to try and overcome that tendency of impatience and learn that the more and more work that I put in like it will come with time and I think that a major part of that is that I because I know that this is what I want to do full time for the rest of my life I feel like that's why I'm so like eager for it to happen now. I don't want to waste any more time doing doing anything else. I want it to happen now. So like that's been like the, for me personally like the biggest obstacle to kind of overcome.
2: And what have you done to at least help you move the needle a little bit with that? Because my boyfriend always says to me that I am so impatient. Like I definitely have an issue when it comes to like instant gratification. I can recognize it though and like I know that it's not a good thing I know that things take time so in that sense I'll still do what I need to do like yeah I'll still do what I need to do but it's that kind of like why can't it just happen now like why is it taking forever Um, I think you know part of it comes down to social media and just seeing loads of things like happening for other people and you're just like well like when is my time but I don't know, like for me personally, I find like reading autobiographies really helps me because seeing someone's life story in a book and how hard they've had to work, how persistent they've had to be in like, despite the odds, that kind of brings me down to reality. Maya Angelou in an interview basically said something like when you're feeling really down, look for the rainbows and the rainbows are the people that have come before you. Like their stories, everything that they've done was for a reason. It was for you to like learn from it. And that's what's helped me. So I'm
0: curious as to what's helped you. Yeah, I think a combination of things. I think, as you just mentioned, looking into like the work and lives of other people and their journeys. So one of the people that I've read quite a lot about her journey and like listened to quite a lot of her Q and A's is Connor Walker, the person who basically founded House of CB and she started quite young and she basically started in the days when like TOWIE was like first launched and like uh, bandage dresses were like a proper thing and like obviously her business is absolutely smashing it now but like I think she's like around about my age so like around about 27 now so like she's like smashing it now but she started I think when she was like maybe like 20 and I feel like that just proves that you will get where you want to get but like it's not going to happen overnight not that I expect it to happen overnight but you know it will take time and as long as you put that kind of that time and effort into it you will get there and I think another thing is to try and like stop that tendency of being impatient is to have goals and plans in place so like me and Sharon will always talk about okay so like by this time we want we want to have achieved this and even if you put that goal into place for like next year you envision that this is going to happen for us by next year and like it's it's weird to say but it kind of stops you from thinking that it's going to happen soon because you shouldn't be thinking something's going to happen soon when it's kind of it's not not practical so I think definitely having like set plans in place to make sure that you kind of know what you're working towards and when it's going to happen.
2: Yeah just to add on that as well sometimes it's also kind of taken away Certain goals, for example, like if you start a brand, you know, a huge goal that people like to kind of place in their first years, like make six figures, for example. And yeah, that's nice, although six figures is just revenue, that's not including your tax, your ex- expenses, etc. etc. But what happens if you don't hit it? Then you feel really like horrible about yourself. And what it's best to do is to replace that goal or something that you can't control you can't control the revenue but change the goal to an action so instead of like saying oh we want to make six figures like you can have that as a goal don't get me wrong but the main goal should be like we're going to i don't know post or we're gonna have instagram ads every month and review them on the 30th of the month and do xyz so it's more like the action that could probably impact it because the action allows you to review it and to understand what's working what's not working where to tweak things and then that's probably going to get you to that six figures or more or whatever the goal is but to actually place it in something that you can't control that's where it can get a bit frustrating
0: I I completely agree with you because I feel like, well, I know that me and Sharon have actually never sat there and said, "Okay, so one of our main goals is to make this much money in this time frame." It's just, it's just never been something that we've just sat down and A said and B felt like we want to say because it's what literally what you just said. There's certain things that you have to achieve or do in order to get there in the first place. So we were talking about our, our steps for 2021. We were like focusing. A lot of our attention, or well, we, we were talking about making a timetable for our social media content. So, like, you know, what's gonna capture the, the attention and or basically for our audience. What can we do to make sure that we're growing to be an established brand next year? And I feel like, yeah, so what you just said, it's it's all about putting things in place to make you get to that point. Like, you're right. If you talk about, I want to make six figures next year. Yeah, but how are you going to do that? Like, yeah, and if you don't meet it, you don't really know where you've gone wrong. or you don't know what you didn't do enough of because you just had one goal of making six figures. Exactly.
1: You just have to be realistic, I think, as well. And you just have to, like, yeah, you have to. I think it's important to have goals at the end of the day. It's hard work to get there. And yeah, things won't happen overnight. So even I guess, yeah, sometimes we can be quite impatient, I do think over time we've definitely started seeing eye to eye with that. That's it. And Sharon, I actually wanted Sharon. to
2: touch on what Gosh. you said about um, how stressful it can be, like working your job. And running the business as well. Is there yeah. anything, even if it's something small, that you've found that's been able to help you at least a little bit?
1: Yeah. So when I finish, like sometimes, so when I finish my, I finish at five o'clock. I will just sit there at my desk, still just like I, will, I say to someone, I'm gonna all up, be quiet. And I literally just spend like half an hour to myself and sort of just have that time to myself and not really do anything i literally just stare out the window it's so important i think especially in the day and age we're living now with mental health and things like that it's so important even though you know you want your business to do well you know if you love your nine to five you should always look after yourself also i was speaking to can the other day actually i was saying to her that you know i want to start like meditating and things like that and um, i was just like reading more and i think you should have a break sometimes you should have a break have some time to yourself do whatever makes you sort of happy and then go back to what you need to do but I would definitely say I have been doing that more and more lately I've just sometimes I finish what I'm doing you know finish my nine to five and then I'll sit there for at least half an hour just to myself and then I would just do what I need to do and that's really helped
2: me so guys what's the future looking like for the (laughs)
0: frills so I feel like there's a lot of things that we're looking to do one of the things is um, larger collections. So we do pride ourselves on being a slow fashion brand, but I feel like you can still be a slow fashion brand and have like a variety of pieces. So we've released like three or four pieces per collection. So like for us as a startup, that's amazing. But we going forward, especially this year, we want to start producing kind of slightly larger collections. And I feel like it's definitely doable. I feel like you know, once you've identified your market and you feel like you're doing well, you feel like you're growing, you can afford to kind of like enlarge in your collection. And I feel like definitely a heavier focus on marketing. So like we really want to focus on becoming like a more established brand this year. So like, yeah, it's great when we ha- when you have celebrities where your stuff and it's great when your following goes up. But I feel like you need to do stuff to actually get there. And like, I feel like sometimes with celebrities when your stuff, although it might be great, Sometimes it's short lived, and like if you think about social media, like there's always something new and exciting coming up on social media. And I feel like in order to become an established brand, you have to like really focus on your marketing as well to make sure that you're constantly like out there as a brand in the right way, obviously, and that, like people like you're not pushed to the back of people's minds. I think generally, just growth on a larger scale and continue to grow internationally as well. So like. When we launched last year, and like, like even now when we get sales, we we were like really like amazed to see that a lot of our customers are from like overseas. So like we've had customers from like Australia, Singapore, Portugal, and I feel like even now when we get customers who are from abroad, like we're like it feels amazing So it's like oh my god, like although they're still people, it just feels amazing that people from other countries also like love your brand as well and want to buy from your brand. So definitely continue to grow in other countries as well. And I think, like, I touched upon it before, but, like, growing um, in quality. So, like, one of our main goals is to have a business where the quality is amazing, quality and fit is amazing. So, like, really focus our attention on that this year as well, making sure that all of our stuff, like, has a great quality about it. Yeah,
1: so just going off from that, I think just moving forward is growing on, like, every aspect of a business from to better collections bigger collections marketing uh, better marketing and just I think for us is the quality of our products as well so just to make sure everything we're doing moving forward is bigger and better so yeah we're really excited for our future perfect
2: do you guys have any books podcasts or self-development content that you'd recommend for our audience of aspiring or startup designers?
0: So I I would definitely recommend PR dispatch. So Sharon and I follow them on Instagram and I just think they're really amazing because so like all it takes for you to follow their page and you get so many tips and advice on everything to do with PR for your business. And like they hold Q and A's as well on their stories and like it's everything from How to get in touch with press and magazines and blogs, to like how you can create effective newsletters. And I feel like PR is like a funny one because I feel like you know, you definitely need to know kind of what you're doing to get the most out of PR. So I will definitely recommend following that page on Instagram. And another one, we spoke about this the other day, and we both read Michelle Obama's autobiography for Coming, and we both like absolutely loved it. And I feel like the main thing that was like striking for us when we read it, and striking and amazing, was that she's a woman of like with so much power, but even throughout her life, she questioned herself and she thought like, you know, no matter how great she was doing, she still had her insecurities and still doubted herself and basically asked herself like, am I good enough? And like, you, I think quite often with men and women, when you see someone in the public eye, we see someone who has like power, you don't really ever think like that person has insecurities or that person questions themselves. You just think, oh, that's a confident person. They're speaking to millions of people. They're making all these like great decisions. But like reading that book kind of just made you realise that, you know, you're you're still a human being and it's okay to have like those insecurities and it's okay to like have those moments of doubt as well.
2: Yeah. I'm yet to finish the book. Because it's so uh, big, <laughs> it's so big. I was like, oh, No, it's really, like, really good. Yeah, I've read like the first part of it. And I was like, Yeah, this woman is, yeah, she's different. She's different. <laughs> what about you, Sharon? Yeah, so
1: uh, me and Cam both was reading that sort of at the same time, so like a bit of a mini book club. Um, so but yeah, since reading that autobiography, I actually didn't read much before that, so moving forward, I like to re- start reading more. So. I know you were saying at the beginning that you know you read quite a lot, so yeah, definitely some recommendations. I want to sort of start reading into people's lives that are maybe on a similar journey to us, so that's something I'm definitely you know, I want to get into more. So start sort of following people's journeys, and we'll, it sort of helps because then you feel that you know you're not alone, and there are other people that've been on the exact same journey and they've, and they've made it. So that, I think that's quite important.
2: I think the next two that you guys could read is the woman I wanted to be by Diane von Fustenberg, you know, DVF, the rap dress. I think that'd be pretty good just because she had that it dress, which is the rap dress. And it's still what's bringing the company money to this day. And that was invented decades ago, but she's very inspiring. She's like, she's lived a very full life, but in terms of like having that piece that really sustains the company, she's great. And the most essential book is Shoe Dog by Nike. You guys are going to love it if you haven't.
0: Oh, yeah, I've, I've, heard,
2: I've heard of that. Yeah, Phil Knight is a superman. Like, I don't even know, like, how he did it. But I think why that would be great is because we look at those big brands like Nike and Adidas, et cetera, and we're like, oh, my God, they're huge. They make billions, like, tens of billions in revenue every year. But he literally started from the bottom. And what he went through... I've honestly said so many times like I would have quit I don't even think I would have like honestly survived like physically survived it because it was crazy so I think you guys would actually really enjoy hearing this story like if you think you had manufacturing issues find out what happened to him (laughs) and you'll see and I just wanted to quickly say you mentioned PR Dispatch I'm actually doing an event with that company PR Dispatch slash the London Fashion Agency Um, I think we're going to do it early april so maybe like april the 7th so details will be on the website etc i'm going to do it with jasmine who's the head of pr there so that you know designers can get a really good understanding of what pr is it's also often confused that pr marketing are the same thing while some benefits might be similar they are two different things so you tend to hire people for you know each particular role as you grow so that's something to look forward to but thank you guys where can our audience find you
1: yeah, so they can find us on Instagram at For The Frill, um, our website, com. We are looking to expand our social media. So we're not currently on Facebook or Pinterest, but we're definitely looking, or we will be making both of those accounts very soon. So yeah, do, do look out for
2: our facebook page and our pinterest page as well so get get following guys <laughs> great i'll put all of that in the description with the links so people can click on it straight away thank you so much guys for your time i'm inspired i've learned a lot had a little laugh and i hope you've enjoyed it too
1: yeah. no we have thank, thank you so you. much for having us
2: and that's a wrap Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and gained a lot of valuable knowledge to help you with your fashion business or career. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, subscribe and share it with somebody you feel will benefit from this. As always, it's been a pleasure. See you next week. Bye.